It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, March 13th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. New York is one of seven states that bans teenagers from getting married. The Vermont legislature is considering having their state join that group. We'll talk with a legal expert who says child marriage leads to higher poverty rates and lower education levels. Even in the best circumstances where young people are not being pressured or forced or coerced into marriage, these marriages tend to have outcomes that are harmful. Also, upstate New York, public health leaders are trying to help the growing number of pregnant people who deal with opioid addiction. I have given Narcan to people in the same bag with diapers, hoped, prayed that they're not going to need it. But, you know, in the, in the absence of safety is real danger. And Kingston-based singer-songwriter Julia Finnegan might be youthful in age, but her music will have a familiar vibe to Jen Xers. Music and conversation with her coming up. All of that is on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile in Saranac Lake, established in 2011 with the mission of community-fueled solutions with essentials for home, camp, and gift-giving, villagemerc.com, anything but general. And Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups, apothecarychocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. New York is one of just seven states that bans teenagers from getting married. The Vermont legislature is considering having their state join that group. Monica Sandreski has more. There's no one national law on child marriage. Many states allow teens to marry if a parent or a judge says it's okay. Child marriage is not uncommon in the U.S. Vivian Hamilton is a professor at William and Mary Law School focusing on children and adolescents. According to the Vermont Commission on Women, about 300 children got married in the state over the last 20 years. Half of them were teenage girls marrying men at least four years older than them. Hamilton says underage marriage is unhealthy for families. We allow marriages because we think that marriage is a social good, that it benefits families. But these marriages don't. She says child marriage is most common for teenage girls who are poor and live in rural areas. Even in the best circumstances, by which I mean circumstances where young people are not being pressured or forced or coerced into marriage, these marriages tend to have outcomes that are Harmful. Some 80% end in divorce, they're less likely to graduate high school, poverty rates are higher, and there are real psychological consequences. 
The Vermont Commission on Women also found that teenage girls who get married are more likely to be abused by their husbands. So the Vermont House passed a bill banning marriages under 18 without exceptions. New York banned the practice in 2021. In some states, groups opposed to these bans include conservative lawmakers, the ACLU, and Planned Parenthood, who says it could impact a minor's right to consent in other circumstances. The Vermont bill is headed to the state Senate. Monica Sandreski, North Country Public Radio. Governor Kathy Hochul and State Attorney General Tish James are asking the country's three largest pharmacy chains about their plans to dispense one of two key medicines used for medication abortions after Walgreens said it will not allow the sale of the pill in 21 states where abortion is no longer legal. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has more. Walgreens stopped the sale of mufapristone, one of two drugs used in a medication-induced abortion, after attorneys generals in those states threatened the pharmacy chains with legal repercussions. CVS and Rite Aid have not yet said what they will do. Governor Hochul and New York Attorney General James have written a letter to the heads of the pharmacy chains, putting pressure on them from the other side of the abortion debate. In it, they ask the chains to commit to making medication abortion available in retail and mail-order pharmacies across New York State, where abortion is legal. Hochul, speaking on CNN, says access to the medicines have become even more critical after the U.S. Supreme Court last year in the Dobbs decision reversed nearly 50 years of abortion rights protections. Basically, pharmacies have become the new battleground ever since women's rights were stripped in the overturning of Roe v. Wade last June. So we want to make sure we send a preemptive message that despite the threats that you're receiving from Republican attorneys general, that here in states like New York, these rights are protected. We're going to go to the mat and protect them every inch of the way. And if they try to suspend the distribution of this important drug to women in the state of New York, there'll be consequences. A federal judge in Texas is deciding a case that could outlaw mufapristone in all of the states. A lawsuit filed there claims the Federal Food and Drug Administration aired when it approved the drug decades ago. Hochul says if the judge rules against the use of the drug, she and the attorney general will explore legal remedies to allow women in New York to still have access to both pills. We'll make sure that we pursue every remedy available to us to make sure that women in the state of New York at least are protected. But it is heartbreaking. Abortions can still be induced using only the second drug in the regimen, misoprostol, but that method is more painful and poses more health and safety dangers to pregnant people. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You're listening to Northern Lights right here on North Country Public Radio. It's seven minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, the lyrics of Kingston singer-songwriter Julia Finnegan call on songs and, uh, and artists who were on the charts well before she was born. Kathleen Edwards, Derek and the Dominoes, Bob Dylan and Jacob Dylan. We'll hear more from Finnegan coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light.
is music by Colton guitarist Paul Myers. Check out more of Paul's music, part of our Underscore project. Visit us at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by St. Lawrence Health, whose affiliation with Rochester Regional Health means more patient access to specialty care. St. Lawrence Health System.org. The number of pregnant people and postpartum parents in the U.S. who died from an opioid overdose grew by over 80% in the past six years, according to a recent study. Stigma, barriers to care, and a lack of resources have put pregnant people and new parents with opioid use disorder at risk. But as WSKG's Phoebe Taylor-Vuolo reports, some local organizations across upstate New York are trying to help. Okay, this is our parent pantry. So, wall of diapers. We have them organized by size from newborn to um, sixes. Julia Reichel runs the Neonatal Abstinence Program at Margaretville Hospital in Delaware County. The program offers recovery coaching, postpartum support, and a parent pantry. The pantry has baby supplies and self-care products for parents. Birth is war, man. This is a perennial cold pack. If you've just given birth to a baby, this is a really, really nice cold compress you can put on your nether regions that will actually relieve some of the pain and swelling. And if you've had an episiotomy... Pretty much anyone can come here for supplies. There's formula, bottles, and condoms. And as a harm reduction program, they also want to help people who use drugs avoid fatal overdose. So there's Narcan and fentanyl test strips. Rachel says they're working to build trust. We want to be there giving you what you need with no strings attached, because so few programs don't have strings attached. So, you know, actually giving you what you need without really forcing you to do any hoop jumping. Rachel says even though the gold standard for opioid use disorder treatment is medication, pregnant patients often have to fight to access it. She's worked with women who were forced to go through dangerous opioid withdrawal while pregnant. Jane Fairbairn is the program's wellness coordinator. She's worked with pregnant women all over Delaware County. She says being in recovery is not a requirement to get diapers or formula. The main thing is making sure people are safe. I have given Narcan to people in the same bag with diapers, hoped, prayed that, that they're not going to need it. But, you know, in the, in the absence of safety is real danger. Fairbairn says many of the parents she works with are terrified of losing custody of their children, especially if they're actively using. She says offering baby supplies is just one way to reduce harm by giving them some autonomy. And hope. I can help with the diapers and the bottles and the formula and the baby clothes and, you know, just try to kind of draw people in and just, and also just illustrate for people in a material way that they matter and that they are good people. The program in Margaretville is funded by a grant that ends in September, but Rachel says she's hoping they can get more funding. Stephen Patrick heads Vanderbilt University's Center for Child Health Policy in Tennessee. He also runs a treatment program there for pregnant women with opioid use disorder. 
Patrick says the number one fear he hears from patients with substance use disorder is that their children could be taken away. He recalls one patient's experience during her first ultrasound. And she was in her ultrasound and the sonographer said to her, have you found a family for your baby yet? And she goes, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, people who use drugs never end up with their babies. Patrick says that patient ultimately found treatment and she and her baby are thriving. He says having substance use disorder doesn't automatically equate to child neglect or abuse. It's like any other chronic illness or mental health issue, he says, and it can be treated. But finding care and treatment can be difficult for pregnant women. And he says that could be contributing to the growth in overdose rates. That's why in 2019, Patrick, along with some colleagues, conducted what's called a secret shopper study. The researchers found that women who posed as pregnant were less likely to get an appointment at outpatient treatment clinics. Oftentimes what pregnant women face is the added stigma of, quote, how could you do this to your baby? He says part of the problem is a gap in knowledge and training. OBGYNs aren't always familiar with opioid use disorder treatment, and treatment providers aren't always familiar with pregnancy care. Patrick says there's also a lot of misinformation about prescribing medications for opioid use disorder to pregnant patients. Some providers are afraid of causing opioid dependence and then withdrawal in newborns. But he points out neonatal opioid withdrawal is treatable and temporary. He says it can be riskier to deny pregnant patients the medication that treats withdrawal. When I'm worried about are the babies born very preterm or the babies with really complex birth defects, it's not drug withdrawal. It's not complicated to treat. It is um, time limited. It only happens for a period of time where you treat it and then the baby goes home. Patrick worked for a year advising the federal government on this particular issue. The Biden administration has signaled a commitment to helping pregnant and postpartum women with opioid use disorder by addressing stigma and increasing access to medication treatment. In Vestal, I'm Phoebe Taylor-Vuolo for North Country Public Radio. Amtrak's passenger rail line is returning to the Adirondacks next month after a three-year hiatus. Service on the train between Albany and Montreal was halted in March of 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. The line stops in smaller communities in the Adirondacks, including Ticonderoga, Westport, and Rouse's Point, as well as in Plattsburgh. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer, as well as Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, all applauded the news on Friday. Amtrak says it plans to resume its Adirondack rail line by April 3rd. Skiers from Paul Smith's College returned to the North Country this week after competing in the United States Collegiate Ski and Snowboard Association National Championships in Mammoth Mountain, California. The Paul Smith's men Nordic team lost their bid last week for the title by a narrow margin to West Colorado University. The event's altitude and lots of fresh snow were some of the challenges. A series of massive winter storms pummeled parts of California, and the competition was cut down to three days of skiing. Those first few days, we could barely leave our house. I think it was probably like three or four feet total. We had to dig the cars out multiple times, and it wasn't even as much the uh, precipitation as it was just the wind and the snow drifts just blowing in everything you cleared out. 
That's John Patrick Thompson, a senior member of the Paul Smith's men's Nordic team. He's also a student rep on the governing body of the USCSA. Paul Smith sent seven men and four women to nationals this month. Thompson says Nordic athletes competed in a 7.5K classic race for the men. Paul Smith's college won the team national championship, followed by Western Colorado University in second and Clarkson University in third. The Paul Smith's women's team took third in that competition. After winning the Nordic event on the first day of competition, Thompson says the team, the men's team ultimately lost to Western Colorado. We got second overall. It was a really hard-fought battle between Paul Smith and Western Colorado. We won the first day, thanks to my teammates. They really hauled, carried more than their own weight. And then uh, the second day, we actually tied with Western Colorado in the skate sprints, which is almost unheard of, but it was a weird event. (laughs) And then uh, the third day, we lost by pretty narrow margins for... uh, I think a seven-point loss on the national title, which is pretty incredible considering Western Colorado lives and trains at altitude, and we came up from the East Coast. So 8,000 feet plus isn't exactly easy on the lungs. (laughs) Aiden Rip from Paul Smith College won the men's individual national championship last week. Although weather impacted the events, Thompson says spirits remained high among his teammates, and he says it was a memorable and rewarding experience. This is like one of the highest levels I've competed in. As I said before, some of my teammates are out in Europe, and Mm -hmm. Aiden was in Olympic trials, so they've been at the higher levels, but... um, it's the biggest deal for me, at least. It's a, it's a good time. The student representative for the Nordic skiers in USCSA, so I got really invested in the organization, and it's just been a good experience overall. I, it's a great time, honestly. It's about the love of the sport more than uh, chasing trophies. John Patrick Thompson is a senior member of the Paul Smith's men's Nordic team. He's also a student rep on the governing body of the USCSA. The team returns to the North Country this week after competing in the Nationals in California last week in some of the deepest snow and highest terrains they've competed in. Student-athletes from 69 colleges and universities competed in alpine, snowboard, free ski, and Nordic events. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, music and conversation with Kingston based singer songwriter Julia Finnegan. Then, coming up after the show, we'll meet a water bird counter on Lake Superior that's just ahead on Bird Note at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. We have some uh, moderate heavy snow moving into the region tonight and throughout the day tomorrow. Uh, the Weather Service says some parts of uh, northern New York could see half a foot or more of snow by uh, by Wednesday morning. Places like Cranberry Lake, Lake Placid, 
and along the southern Champlain Valley and especially central and southern Vermont could see six or more inches by uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. The Weather Service says tonight we'll see kind of a wintry mix move into the region with moderate to heavy snow expected throughout the day tomorrow and into tomorrow night. So the morning commute and the evening commute tomorrow could be difficult. Again, um, most of the region getting maybe a few inches of new snow by Wednesday morning, but uh, the central northern Adirondacks and then into central and southern Vermont could see much of the uh, the heaviest snow, moderate to heavy snow falling uh, late tonight and throughout the day tomorrow. Right now in Canton, clouds and 34 degrees. Kingston singer-songwriter Julia Finnegan might be youthful in age, but her music will have a familiar vibe to Gen Xers of the 80s and 90s. And the language in her lyrics calls on songs and artists who are on the charts well before she was born. Groups like Kathleen Edwards, Derek and the Dominoes, America, and, and songwriters like Bob Dylan and Jacob Dylan. Finnegan's most recent album is called Listen to the Wallflowers, a title which works both as a metaphor and as a literal tribute to the younger Dylan's band. Her father has been a big influence on her. They even wrote songs together growing up. Mitch Tight caught up with Finnegan, and she told him that she's always loved poetry and that time with her dad. She uses lots of clever and playful turns of phrase in her songs, even as they are, as she puts it, a little bit melancholy. Kept your coffee in my car Couple days overdue It fills the space on your side Shift to reverse, I think of you Break of day, we said goodbye At the same time, you know, what do you feel when you're on stage performing these songs? Sometimes I feel kind of removed from the song, but then when I think about the time and the place that I was writing it, it's pretty empowering to to be able to perform them and feel removed from it afterwards. So it's... um. It makes me feel, I don't know, it makes me feel happy to perform them, <laughs> even though they're not happy songs. <laughs> I, I always wondered about that because, you know, like you, you write songs from a certain time and place and situation in your life. But then, you know, you're playing them some years later and you could be in a completely different place. So you have to be able to kind of see yourself from 30,000 feet. It is quite strange. So I had, when I was writing that, album i mean it was a couple of years ago now but um i am now in a a happy relationship and so it's funny listening to kind of where i was at and the loneliness in the songs and also feeling kind of misunderstood and that kind of juxtaposed by feeling very loved and and understood is a nice feeling yeah, so I guess I was going to ask, it feels a little like either a breakup album or a frustrated album in some ways. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny to think about because I, it sounds strange, but I haven't really ever had a real, knock on wood, had a real true breakup like that before. Uh, and so really, it, I, it was comprised of a lot of feelings where I was kind of admiring someone from afar and that feeling of longing and yearning and um, 
there is no closure in that sort of sense. So it's it is kind of a frustration, I I guess. There, there's that um, there's that line I think in uh, is it in for me yet that uh, that you write songs about other people and no one's written a song for you yet. I've thought about the circumstance and inspirations impetuses pain. That's uh, it's actually not true. Um, I, my so that's the funny thing. My dad wrote a few songs for me when I was little, um, but I just thought it was a funny lyric to put in because it's just like I write all these songs about people they don't even know. Um, so it's just it's a weird. I wanted it to kind of sound like I was observing things from the outside looking in, and so that's kind of where the theme of being a wallflower is kind of watching everything go by and you're not really immersed in it. So I guess, yeah, for me, it, it kind of encapsulates that, I think. Was it a happy coincidence that that, that you use both Wallflower and Rolling Stone as metaphors and, and they're also, of course, bands and, and musicians who have come before? Yeah, so I am a huge Bob Dylan fan um, and I also really like Jacob Dylan. Um, so I have listened to the Wallflower and the Rolling Stones. Um, <laughs> it's a funny like way of writing about music and and also my life because um, those are pretty big parts of my life are, are those influences. And so I wanted to kind of turn the phrase and kind of liken it to things I'm listening to, but also um, things I'm going through. And I thought I music scene in Kingston. What does it offer you as an up-and-coming musician? The music scene in Kingston has been so supportive. I think sometimes when people think of up-and-coming musicians, you think of competition or like putting people against each other. And most of the opportunities for me that have come about have been from other musicians and my relationships with them. So I've just been really grateful to to be in this town and to be surrounded by people who, who love the similar things as me and also learn from them. Well, he, he is not on this call to answer this question. So I'm going to have to ask you to put words into uh, to his mouth. But, you know, for considering the influence that your dad has had on you as a musician, what does he think about your music? Uh, I don't 
don't really know. He's he's uh, well, I do know that he's proud of me, um, which is a nice feeling. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't really know like specific songs. Like there's some songs that I'll he's he has always been the first person that I would show song ideas to, um, and frequently when I would show him songs, he'd be like, "Oh, you're writing about this thing again? Like, <laughs> what are you thinking?" get over it. So no, he, he could not be more supportive. So I'm really grateful for that. Julia Finnegan is a singer songwriter who lives in Kingston, Ontario. She was in conversation with Mitch Tyke on a recent episode of NCPR's podcast, Northwards. You can check out a new episode. They're dropped every Friday. Find that and subscribe any place you get your podcasts. Her most recent album is called Listen to the Wallflowers. Hear and see more and find when and where she's playing from a link at ncpr.org slash northwards. That's Northern Light for this Monday, March 13th. Morning Edition continues in just a couple of minutes. Coming up in 15 minutes on the show, we'll get a recap of the Oscars last night, including who won Best Picture for Everything Everywhere All at Once. More from Mandalit Del Barco coming up at 845 here on North Country Public Radio. Keep up with NCPR throughout the day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also email us, news at ncpr.org. Our theme music is by Danny Thomas. Until tomorrow, I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Be well.